we're so grateful that, that you are our king. You are the one that we submit to. You're our sovereign, and we are so grateful that tonight we can come and, and come to you. I pray for our nation, for healing. Uh, there's, there's a lot of turmoil. There's half the nation divided, and, and I just pray for healing. But not around a president, I pray for revival, and I pray for people to come back to the Word of God. I pray for churches to stand up and proclaim the gospel, and that men and women would be saved through outreach and missionaries and churches that share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for that right here in San Bernardino, Lord, that you would revive our city. We thank you for our mayor and elected officials. We ask for you to bless them as well as our new president. We pray, Lord, that you would work through these men and women that lead us. And we thank you, God, that we can pray daily for them and their families. We ask God, again, for revival in our country, for you to turn the hearts of the children back toward the parents and the parents to you. Lord, that we would be a people that love and honor Jesus Christ. Tonight, as we now turn our attention to Genesis chapter 14, Lord, open our hearts. And we, as we read and study the word, Lord, we receive from you this wonderful truth. Teach us and, and, and inspire us, Lord. Edify us as we teach now your word. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Genesis 14, I said 13, didn't I? Genesis chapter 14 is where we are in our verse-by-verse -verse study here. And last time, you'll remember, it was all about Abraham and Lot. And they had to separate because their, their workers were arguing. They had two huge herds of cattle and donkey and camel. Both Lot and Abraham had lots of wealth and lots of animals that needed lots of water and gracing ground. There wasn't enough. They argued. They were fighting. And so Abraham and Lot, Abraham got together and Abraham graciously devises a plan because Abraham or Abram, as he's called in this text tonight, he's learning, he's growing in his faith, he's growing in his uh, love and devotion and trust in God. And God, through some hardships, is teaching Abram. And you'll remember in 13, chapter 13, verse 9, it's Abram who says, please separate from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So Abram graciously says, Lot, you know, we're family. It's important for us to get along, and we just need to have a lot of separation between us right now so that we don't continue to fight. And it was Lot who chose the fertile valley, the Jordan River Valley. He looked down the mountainside, and he saw the water, plenty of, plenty of water for his herds. He saw the grazing lands. He thought, man, I can make a killing there. I'll put my, selfishly, I'll put my herds in that land, and I'll just make a killing. I'll make more money. He was really seeking self, and he was making, thinking about the money that he would make foolishly. He didn't think about the people that lived there. And Moses tells us in Genesis chapter 13 that Lot moved into Sodom. He moved into a wicked city filled with perverse men. So Abram, he stayed in this other area. He stayed up by the oak trees. Remember, that's where he was. And so he stayed up, up there in the higher country. He would probably have to look for water and gracing land up there, but he was willing to trust the Lord. And while he was up there, he began to worship the Lord, and God spoke to him and, and gave him an encouraging word about his commitment to Abram and the, the Abrahamic covenant that we've been able to look at as we go through his life. We've been looking at his life since chapter 11. And we're going to continue next week. We'll see more of the Abrahamic covenant, probably the, the best uh, chapter on that specific covenant in the scriptures, chapter 15. We'll look at that next week. But if you grew up in Sunday school, I grew up teaching Sunday school. My wife grew up in Sunday school. But if you grew up in Sunday school, there are certain stories that you hear over and over and over. Abraham and Lot is one of those stories. Jonah, you know, there's David. There's, there are certain stories that you hear over and over again. This is a real familiar story. This is the rescue of Lot. Abram's going to rescue his nephew, Lot. And we're going to see this man, Abram, who's the father of faith here. He's going to display 
new courage and integrity that we haven't seen in his life yet. So Moses is kind of revealing, the Holy Spirit is revealing through the word of God how Abram has come from a pagan home. Remember his father, Terah. He was a moon god worshiper. And he goes from this, this secular lifestyle without God, and God sovereignly chooses him, and God is going to use him in a wonderful way. Remember, we're looking at the book of beginnings, and we've gone from, from the creation of the world, the creation of man, man's first sin, Genesis 3. We've looked at all this the study of the fall of man, uh, Noah, the ark, the destruction of man. And, and throughout this whole section, God had promised that through the seed of the woman was going to come the Messiah. And Messiah comes through Father Abraham. That's why this man is such a great study. That's why we have to look at him, and we're going to continue looking at him for many uh, chapters, and then his offspring, Isaac and Jacob. We're going to look at them. It's, they're exciting stories in the Bible. But these two characteristics we're going to look at tonight, courage and integrity that, that are shown in this man, Abram here, uh, it's really wonderful. We should all strive for these two godly characteristics. Courage is having strength to face threats or to face pain. To have courage, to trust in the Lord and, and just and know that God's going to do what he said he would do. I know that I know I can trust in the Lord. I, can, I have courage because of what God's told me. We'll see that in the life of Abram. And then honesty or integrity. Integrity is all about just holding on to those things that are true, having a high moral uh, standing and principle, something that both candidates really flunked out on, if you ask me. But, but we need to look to being people of integrity. So how do we learn that? Where do we go? So here's a great example. This man, Abram, he's learning those things. And God wants us to learn those things as well, to be known for integrity, honesty, commitment, courage. Now, I really like to write sermon titles. One of the things I've learned, and, and, and other pastors will tell you this, you know, as you're studying, you don't... You don't throw a title out there and then you, you just uh, develop around the title. You let the scripture teach and, and you exposit, you expand what the scripture is teaching. And then you kind of come up with a title that kind of ties it all together. I, I kind of like titles, but I like edgy ones. This one's not that edgy. This kind of tells us, because that's what we're going to study tonight. Abraham's going to rescue Lot. So I have this, uh, this title here. Last week, Last, last week, we could have titled, or I could have titled that section, Solving Problems with Lot, or that's what I titled it, Solving Problems with Lot, but I could have entitled it, Abram Had a Lot to Lose. I mean, think about it. And, and then that would have led me into this next one, Abraham Had a Lot to Gain, because that's what we're going to learn tonight, but he's going to rescue Lot. I didn't do that, but the rescue of Lot is the name of our title. Uh, we've, we've looked at this man. We're going to look at him again. We'll go through this whole chapter really quickly, beginning in verse 14, verse 1. My first point here tonight is the defeat of Sodom and capture of Lot. Now, there's a lot of weird names that you're going to hear. I'm going to do my best on this. You, you have to check me out here. It's really hard. I had to go over and go, go, go over this. So we'll go slowly through this so I can try to get through all these names. But it came to pass in the days of our... Uh, <laughs> Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Eleazar, and then we have Kedorloamar. Kedorloamar here is a really interesting person. He's really the main person in the story. He's the king of Elam. And then a guy named Tidal, and he was in an area called king of the nations in kind of the, the uh, uh, western area of Turkey. Uh, that they made, verse 2, these, these kings, they made war with Bera, the king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adama, and Shemimber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that's Zoar. All of these, verse 3, joined together in the valley of Siddim, that's the Salt Sea, or the Dead Sea as we know it today. Verse 4. Twelve years they served Ketorloramar. They, they served Ketorloramar in this for 12 years. And, and we're going to see how that works out. But the 13th year they rebelled. 
And in the 14th year, Ketalorimar and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Raphium in Ashtaroth, Kerneum and Zumim and Ham and Ham and Emim, the Shiva Keritham. <laughs> Love this. And the Horites in their mountain of Seir as far as El Paran. That's as far as we're going to go. I've got a map I'll show you later, not right now. But we'll show you, I'll show you the map. That's the furthest south they go, which is by the wilderness. Who wandered in the wilderness? The children of Israel. Well, that's coming in the future. But that's, that's a reference here to that area that's way to the Sinai Peninsula. You know, that area between the Red Sea and the, the, Gorf, uh, the Gulf there. And that area that the children of Israel wandered, wandered, wandered. That's, that's a reference to uh, the wilderness there. Verse 7, then they turned back and came to and Misfat, that is Kadesh or Kadesh Barnea, south of Canaan, and attacked all the country of the Malachites and also the Amorites who dwell in Hezrion Tamar. And the king of Sodom, that's Bera, and the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, the king of Bela, that is Zoar, they went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Siddim against Ketalorimar, king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Whew, made it through that section there. Now, Ketalorimar is the main king. He's a leader. He's got an alliance of kings from the north. Remember, I've shown you these pictures of the fertile crescent. Um, Abram and his father Tamar began in what's known as modern-day Kuwait. It's called Ur of the Chaldees. There's two main rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates River, that run in that valley. Lots of uh, 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 fertile area for people to live. Lots of water for them to drink. So there's lots of cities in that whole fertile crescent. Lots of farming going on. These people were hunter-gatherer farmer people. And that whole fertile crescent, you've heard that before, that goes all the way up uh, up to what would be um, uh, above Iraq, up into Syria, and then down along the Mediterranean coast where Israel is today. That whole area called the fertile crescent. Um, Abram was from Ur, and that's where this Kedolorimar is king at this time. He's king of this area right there called Elam, this big, large area with all these different city-states. And he was like the big cheese. He was the guy that was in charge. And he had this, this uh, trade route that went all the way up this fertile crescent and back down into this area. In fact, let's show this map. I you can see where Elam is over here on your right-hand side in Shinar. There's these four kings that, that come together under Ketalorimar. And then up above you have Elisar and, and the Hittites way up above. So you have these four kings. And this is the fertile crescent that comes up and around. And then over here on the left-hand side, that's where Israel is in the, the valley. But basically, this is the route that um, Abram would have taken up by Elisar is where uh, uh, Tamar, uh, Abram's father, would have brought him to a place called Haran. You remember Haran? We looked at Haran. He lived there for a while. When he was 75 years old, Abram went down into Canaan. He finally trusted the Lord. So he's an older man, by the way, Abram, and he's down in this area. And so these guys over here in Elam, Ketalorimar, he aligns these kings up above in the north and he's going to go to battle with these guys in the south because he wants this trade route that goes all the way down to Egypt. Egypt is off the map here, off to your left. He's really concerned about that. In fact, I've got another map. Let me see the other map. This kind of shows you uh, what's going to happen here in the battle uh, where the king comes down south and he goes all the way down. Way at the bottom of the mouth is El Paran. That's mentioned here in the scripture, verse 7. And then up above Dan, we're going to talk about Dan. We went to tell Dan when we were in Israel just back in February. So I just want to give you kind of the geography so you understand what's going on. There's a trade route that goes in the Fertile Crescent. Ketalorimar is protecting his interest. He's going to go to battle because the guys in between, all the in-between guys who are right in this area, 
It's known as Canaan, the Perizzite, Hittites, Outsites, all the sites. They all lived in that area. They basically, after 12 years in this, this paying tribute and getting along with Ketalorimar and these northern kings, they finally said, you know what? If you want to go through our property, you've got to start paying us, pay us tribute. We're not going to pay you tribute. You pay us. Big, big trade route going from Egypt all the way to, to uh, Elam. And so that's where the war comes in here. And it's Ketalorimar that lives down there. Now, he lives in this place called Elam, which is modern-day Iran. And Elam's capital city is Shushan. You might remember Shushan or Susan um, in the book of Esther. That's where King Asherus was from. So this is kind of the general area, just to give you some geography for those Bible students that, that remember these different locations in your Bible. So Ketalorimar, was a, he was a formidable king. He was in charge. He was a fierce king, and he leads this confederation of kings now, and they're going to go down into this area that's Canaan, and they're going to go to battle there because there was this, this rebellion with these in-between nations there, the in-between Egypt and Elam, that, that through the, the Fertile Crescent all the way over to Elam where Ur is. So that kind of gives you this, this idea. They, they want to keep the trade route flowing here. Verse 6 tells us that Ketalomar defeats. He defeats these areas, Rapham, Zezim, Emim, the Horites, and conquers the Amalekites and Amorites. He goes through there and he starts wiping out these people and says, you are going to submit to me and our power, our authority. The four kings get together and they they say, you're going to submit to us. And it's at that point that Beersha and Bera, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, and a few other regional kings, they go out to fight Ketalomar, they're, they're saying, oh yeah, you're not coming through here unless you pay us. We've done it 12 years. We haven't gotten anything from you. And so now we want you to pay us. So that's when they have this battle. And the battle is between these four kings against five. Verse nine, go to verse 10 and you'll see here. Ketalorimar wins the battle and that takes place in some tar pits. This is the same verse that gave geologists this idea that there's oil in the Middle East, by the way. Now the Valley of Siddim, that's where the the Dead Sea is, verse 10, was full of asphalt pits. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some died there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. So Ketalormar comes in there, Beersha and Bera, they stand up to Ketalormar, and they say, you're not going by here. And he says, oh, yeah, and he just takes them on and, and routes them. And most of the people leave. Some of them die there. Verse 11, then they took all the goods, Ketalomar takes all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, all their provisions, and they went their way. And then look at verse 12, they also took Lot. They took Lot. Where was Lot living? Sodom. So Ketalomar is really important. And by the way, you can take his name and Google it and look at some of the history in Mesopotamia. If you love world history, you're going to look way, way, way back. This is all recorded, not just in the Bible. Ketalormar was a real uh, king, and this battle went on. It's, it's uh, um, written about in other historical documents as well. But here's the problem. Ketalormar did something he didn't know anything about. He took Lot. So he's picking on Abram's family here, and that's what we're reading about. This is why you have to understand the battle, this first uh, 11 verses. But they... Ketalormar and his men take Lot, Abram's brother, who dwelt in Sodom, or his brother's son, pardon me, who dwelt in Sodom, and they took all of Lot's stuff, his goods, and then they left. So Ketalormar, he defeats these two kings, Beersha and Bera, and then he raids their city, Sodom and Gomorrah, and takes all their stuff and all their possessions and Lot. Remember, Lot made a selfish decision. He looked at the valley, and he saw the valley. Didn't know the people, but he goes down into this valley area, and he actually settles in Sodom. And it's because he only thought about himself, and he was only for himself, that God is now, I believe God is showing him, oops, you shouldn't have done that. God really loves this family, just like he loves you and I. When we make a bad choice, God comes, and he brings something, something, some barrier, some issue, something that will cause us to look back up to the Lord. And that's what's happening, I believe, 
in Lot's case, he loses everything because of his decision. But more importantly, Abram becomes personally involved in this whole, this whole story. This is where it gets interesting, verse 13. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth tree. Remember the oaks of Mamre, that's where he's living. The Amorite brother of Eschol, the brother of Anner, and they were allies with Abram. So these guys, they know that that Lot is Abram's relative and that this went on and they fled. They didn't get killed in the battle. They fled from Sodom. They know exactly where Abram is. Abram's a wealthy man. He's got lots of stuff. And so they run to him and say, look, this is what happened to your nephew, Lot. He's been taken by Ketalormar and these four kings that came down and went to war. Here in verse 14, this is where the story takes a change because Abram hears, and now his family has been threatened. He hears about his nephew's abduction. He hears about all the stuff being lost. And here's my next point. This is where we get Abram's courage and power. We're going to see Abram's courage and his power. Look at verse 14. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed 318 trained servants. So was Abram wealthy? I mean, how many servants do you have? He's got 318 men, not the women, not the kids, not the older men that couldn't fight. So he's got a lot of people, 1,000, 1,000 people following him around. He's a rich man, and they're taking care of all his flocks and his herds. So he takes 318 that are strong, and he gives them arms, and he's going to take them now into battle here. He, he not only learns to walk by faith, but he's trusting the Lord, and he knows how to take care of his own assets. He's got an army. He's got uh, armament as well to protect himself, and now he's going to protect his family's honor. Very interesting. Is he protecting his family's honor, or is he going to walk by faith and trust the Lord? Now, he's been told, remember, he was told by God that, that people that curse you, I'm going to do what? Curse. And people that bless you, God says, I'll do what? I'm going to bless. So he knows that. He's already been told twice that in our story so far from chapter 11 to chapter 14. So is he operating by faith? That's the question. Is he now going to say, you know what? I got God on my side. I can do it all. I can, I can go after him. Or is he just saying, you know, I, I just want to protect the family. And we're not really sure. It doesn't really say. I kind of lean to the faith thing because I'm seeing Abram learning and growing in his faith. And now he is, is tested and he's saying, Lord, I'm going to go for it. You're going to protect me. I'm going to take my men. I'm going to go back and get Lot. Now, he doesn't know how large this army is. There's only 318 men. There's four kings from these cities that were up in the north and, and to the east that have come down. And they've already ravaged a bunch of cities. We've already read the names of all the kings that have lost. And all the, the territory that's been lost to Ketalorimar here. But I kind of believe that, that he believes God's going to protect him. Here's the verse. I'll show it to you. It's Genesis 12. Notice behind me. I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. That was a promise that God made to Abraham. Again, he's growing in his faith. So notice how his army pursues these five kings now. He's going to go after them. They're, they're a long distance away. Um, and that one map, can we go back to the, the map that showed the, the little regional area? Ketalorimar came down here. He's wiping out everybody. Here's Sodom and Gomorrah. He goes all the way down to El Paran, verse 7. And he goes over here to Kadesh. And now he's going to come this way, and he's going to go back up. And look where he goes. That's Dan, way up there. Bethel. The, the uh, Hebron, the oak of Mamre, or the terebinth tree. This is where Abram's right here. Lot went down here. Abram's here. And he's going to have to go up here now to meet Ketalorimar that's gone up on... There are different colors here, but you probably can't tell. That's why I got up there. I, I'm glad I'm tall. I can show you that stuff. So this is what he does here. He, he has military insight here. He divides his 318 men in two groups, and he goes at nighttime to go after Ketalorimar's army here. Now, I want to show you these pictures of Tel Dan. We were there in February. You go to this place in Israel. 
Judy was there, the Carmen was there, uh, Esther and Ashley and Philip were there. I don't know if anyone else here that went on our trip. But you go to this place called Tel Dan, which is Dan on the map, way up in the north of Israel, above the Sea of Galilee. And this is the ruins here. That you can see Philip and some of our team there, but these are ruins, all these boulders piled up. This is Tel Dan. You can actually go to this place that Abraham fought this battle at night, dividing his 318 men. This is where it all took place in Tel Dan. That's what's cool about going to Israel, people. You go to Israel, and you're going to stand there and go, wow, Genesis 14. I, I'm living it. I'm, I'm here. Here's another picture here. I, I put three up. There's some more ruins. This would have been a, a place where they, they bathed before their ritual sacrifice, uh, then move on here. This is the gates. This, this has just been unearthed. When Esther and I were there three years ago, four years ago, this was only halfway unearthed. Now it's larger. These are the main gates going into Dan, the city. And so this is the place where Abraham's going to take his stand and, and confront Keter Lorimar here. That's why I showed you those pictures. Look at verse 15. He divided his forces, this is Abram, against them by night, and he and his servant attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods. Obviously, he wins. This, Moses doesn't give us all the details. He attacks them, and he wins. He brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. So all these people that have been taken from Sodom and Gomorrah and all these other, you know, it's booty. This is all booty for the, the king Ketelormar. He's taken all these, he conquered, and he's taken their gold and silver and all the good stuff, and the, the, the best-looking people killed some. Take, that's how they, how they did war in those times. And, but Abram is gone against him with 300 team, and he has defeated him, verse 16. So he brought back all the goods. He brought back Lot. He brings back everybody safe. So Abram shows courage. Abram shows power and might using his men in rescuing Lot. And again, I'm seeing spiritual growth in his life. That's what we're seeing here as we study verse by verse, chapter by chapter here. We're seeing this man growing in his faith and trusting the Lord now, or, or more and more. Now, this is really interesting after his victory, he's going to go back and take these people back to where they live. Where do they live? Sodom and Gomorrah. Abram's taking these people back from Dan all the way down on the other side of the Jordan River Valley and then back down to their city, Sodom and Gomorrah there. And he's warmly greeted by the king. Remember Bera, the king, mentioned earlier in the, the uh, chapter here. Verse 17 says, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva, uh, the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Ketelorimar and the kings who were with him. So Abram is bringing the people back. He's bringing all the stuff that was taken by Ketelorimar. He's bringing it all back to this place. And the king of Sodom goes out to meet him. It's like, Wow, look, all the people are coming back, and they have all the stuff, and wow, the king's kind of beside himself here. So he comes out to meet Abram, maybe through a little ticker tape parade. We're not really sure. But the people are going to come back, and they're going to rebuild their city. But it's Abram who rescues Lot, recovers all the stuff stolen by Ketelorimar. And here's a sad, sad reality of this. Lot moves back into Sodom. He doesn't stay with his uncle. He's lost his stuff, and maybe they have some of the herd. They brought some of it back, but Lot is going to stay. He's not going to go back with Abram. He's not going to see this as God kind of giving him a second chance. No, he goes right back to Sodom, and we all know where that's going to end up, if you know your Bible at all. He ignores God's warning. He's going to lose everything. He's lost some of it, it's been restored because of his, his uncle, but he's going to lose it all when Sodom and Gomorrah are judged. Now, here in verse 18, Abram's going to meet this interesting person. Really important that you know who this person is. This is we're going to meet this person who's a type of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice this. Abram meets Melchizedek, another name. So you're going to, you're going to walk out of here, Ketelorimar. You'll probably know how to spell it 
you know, hopefully. And then Melchizedek, these really interesting people here. But then Melchizedek, notice, king of Salem, verse 18, brought out bread and wine. So first of all, Abram's coming with all this stuff, and he's got to be, the king comes out, King Bera, he comes out. Abram, Abram, you brought everybody back. But more importantly, this other king comes out, Melchizedek. He's known as the king of Salem. He brought out, notice what he brings, bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand and gave him a tithe of all. Very interesting. He gets a blessing. Abraham looks at King Melchizedek, king of Salem, and he gives him a tithe. Something going on here in this story, and I want to show you by giving you little subtitles and talking briefly about this. Number one, we get Melchizedek's name, his name. Very interesting. His name means king of righteousness. Very interesting. Now, we're going to see he's a type of Christ here. And I'll tie this together in a moment, but really pay attention. His name means king of righteousness. Number two, his position was king of Salem. The word Salem in Hebrew means peace. He's the king of peace. The city of Jerusalem, the the city of peace. Number three, Melchizedek's uh, provision. When he comes, he brings bread and wine. We just celebrated the Lord's Supper last Sunday morning. You all know what it represents. Not only would bread and wine be a traditional thing that would be given to a guest, but there's more significance, I believe, because it comes from this high priest, Melchizedek. He has bread and wine. And then, number four, Melchizedek's priesthood. He's the priest, it says right here in the scriptures, of the most high God. It's the, the, one of the many, many wonderful, beautiful names of God, El Elyon. El Elyon means highest God or supreme being. I read that and I thought about, I thought about how Americans, we, we just, we twist everything, don't we? We talk about a supreme being or, or someone said we should never, and I believe this is true, we should never, ever settle for a higher power when we are under the, high, the highest power. You know what I mean? We're under the highest power. We, look, we have El Elyon. He's the high, supreme, the highest God, the supreme being of all. Now, notice that he prays for Abram here, and he pronounces the blessing. So he's, he's giving him a blessing. He's standing beside him praying, thanking the Lord, thanking the Most High God, El Elyon, And what is Jesus doing for you and I right now? What does the New Testament tell us that Jesus is doing right now, seated at the right hand of the Father? What's he doing? He's praying. He's interceding. There's so many similarities about this man, Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, the priest of the Most High God. And then the person, the person, Melchizedek, my fifth point here, he's this really mysterious person. I believe he's the earliest and clearest picture of Jesus in the Bible. That's what makes him a type of Christ. He's a picture of Christ. And we're seeing it here in the life of Abram. Very important. You know how important Abram is. And so this Melchizedek meeting. Now, he's he's a man. He's just a man. He's not an angel. He's just a man. Very important to to note that as well. He's not an apparition. He's not, this is not a theophany or Christophany where Christ is showing himself. This is just a man, but he's a type of Christ in all these wonderful ways. Now, I want to show you this. So we have to turn to Hebrews 7. So flip back to the, or forward to the New Testament book of Hebrews. I want to show you this real quick. Just a couple of verses, Hebrews chapter 7. We're just going to look at four verses here. But I want, you to sh- I want to show you what the New Testament writer of the Hebrews says about Melchizedek. Really important for you to understand. And you'll, you'll get asked the question in the future, who, who is Melchizedek? What is he a type of? Who is he a type of? You'll know now as we read this. Look at Hebrews 7 verse 1. For this Melchizedek, the writer, king of Salem, see the, 
reference there, priest of the Most High God who met Abram returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So there's the reference to the story we're reading here in Genesis 14. To whom also Abram gave a tenth part of all. There's the reference to Abram's response to the blessing that Melchizedek gives. First being translated, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Now here's some important details that that we're getting from this uh, text of scripture. Again, I love to have the scripture teach us what's going on. If I tell you what's going on, you might go, I don't know. And, And you'd have every right to question that. But when we look at the scripture and let scripture interpret scripture, It's one of the main hermeneutics about Bible study. Let the scripture interpret itself. Here it is. In Hebrews, is interpreting what we're reading in Genesis 14. The writer here, very interesting, the important details. First of all, he's eternal. Look at verse 3. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning or days nor end of life. But made like, and here's the wonderful title in in Hebrews, he's like, here's the type reference, he's like the Son of God. And he remains a priest continually. Now there's there's the parallel type of Christ. And here it is in reference in Hebrews chapter 7. He's not an angel, he's called a man, verse 4. Now consider how great this man was. The reference is to Melchizedek. He's just a man, not an angel. He's not a Christophany. To whom even the patriarch Abram gave a tenth of his spoils. So he's, he's not Jesus, but a godly man. But he knew the true and living God. He, he was the priest of the high God, El Elyon. Melchizedek is really, really a, an important person for us to know. Uh, he's a godly man. He knew the Most High God. Psalm 110, verse 4, here it is for you. Look at this verse. The Lord has sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever according to the order of... Hmm, there's his name again. Again, we're seeing Melchizedek in different texts of Scripture. Melchizedek, he's a type of Jesus Christ. The Bible is so beautiful. When you start reading the Bible and you see things dovetail together, it makes it way more exciting. And I hope that I can bring those things to you in our Bible study. That, uh, I study all day for, to find these little nuggets for you so that you'll love the Word, so that you'll study it yourself, so you'll go back and read it uh, on your own. But, but this Melchizedek is a type of Christ. He's a, of the order, Psalm 110 says, of Melchizedek. He's mentioned in Genesis 14, here in Psalm 110, the verse we just read, Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 6, and Hebrews chapter 7. But going back now, going back to Genesis 14, he's a priest. And he's acting as a mediator between El Elyon and Abram. He's, he's a mediator between. Who does that sound like? Jesus is our mediator between Father God and sinful man. We have Jesus Christ. I love the the picture, the the chasm. And on one side, you have a holy God. And the other side, you have sinful man. And then in the middle, you have the cross, the cross bridging the gap between God and man. Jesus is our mediator, just as Melchizedek is the mediator between El Elyon and Abram in the story. And he begins to bless him. Uh, in our story. And then as he gives out these blessings on Abraham, and he is now, Melchizedek, going to receive this tithe from Abraham to do what? He's the mediator. He's going to give it to God. He's going to give this worship to God. Abraham, this is somewhat a a type of worship as he gives this tithe and he gives himself uh, to Melchizedek here. Again, that's the clear type of Christ that's depicted here in this text. Now, his likeness to Jesus, again, Melchizedek, he's an eternal priest, no beginning, no end, as it said in Hebrews, presenting bread and wine, a mediator. He was a king. Jesus is a king. He was a priest, Melchizedek. Jesus is a priest. 
His name was King of Righteousness. Jesus was absolutely righteous. Melchizedek was King of Peace, and Jesus is the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. Look at this verse. You know it. We're coming to Christmas, so we can read this one. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and notice, Prince of Peace. In the order, we have Melchizedek, a type of Christ. And here we have this, this man, Melchizedek, here. A remarkable type of, of Christ here. Something else that stands out, but going back to uh, chapter 14 of, of Genesis, Abram. My next point, verse 19, Abram of, notice what he's called, of the Most High. Verse 19, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham of God Most High. That means he has this relationship with God. He's, he's not aloof and, and separate. He's got a relationship with God. There's a, there's a, a wonderful compliment made there, and, and the same can be said of you and I. When someone thinks about you, a parent, a neighbor, a coworker, do they think about you in relationship to the Most High God? In other words, are you living your Christian life so others know that you're a Christian, you belong to Jesus, that you're part of his family? That's the inference here. Abraham was of the Most High God. He's part of his family. He's connected. As believers, we should be connected to Christ, and others should be able to look at our lives and, and see that we're of Christ in the things we do and, and the things we say. Clearly, that's the greatest compliment you or I can get, that we're Christ-like. It's been said of me, maybe once or twice in my lifetime, what a joy it is to get that compliment. When you do something that's so Christ-like and people are just like, you must really love the Lord and you're Christ-like. I'm, I'm saying it's only happened a couple times in my life. I wish it happened every day, every moment. To be associated that way, that's really what that means. Abram of the Most High God. When someone says, they're a Christian, that should mean that you're Christ-like. And again, we should be that way because we've been given a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17, all things passed away, all things become what? And in that newness of life, we live and breathe and have our existence. It's, we're to be Christ-like. We're to walk in love. We're to walk in forgiveness. We're to, we're to be like Jesus Christ. That's what makes us different. Now, Abram is going to give now Melchizedek a tithe. I love this here in verse 20 because he's recognizing that God has blessed him and God has led him. And so what does he do? He gives one-tenth of his possessions now, is this the gross or the net? Just, just kidding for those of you that ever asked that. I get asked that question. It says one-tenth of his possessions, so it means one-tenth of his possessions. He's giving this tithe. The word tithe in Hebrew just means tenth. That's all it means. And he gives this tithe or this tenth of all of his possessions. And he does it because he wants to honor God. He's thanking God for protecting him. He's thanking God for this ability to have courage and go with 318 men against Ketelomar and these other kings. He's thanking God for the blessings that came from Melchizedek, a type of Christ here. It's really a beautiful expression of worship. He's giving a, something that cost him something and he's laying it before him. Now, this is not a message on tithing, and I don't want any of you to think that. God provides for this fellowship from the loving believers as they give, and they give so in a joyful way. That's what we're told. Paul says, look at this verse real quick. Paul says, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly. God loves a what kind of giver? <laughs> as you give your money, as the bag comes by. And, and we, put it, we do the bag thing here. We don't, we don't do the plate. The plate's kind of the old school way where you see what the guy that just put it in. And, or they can see what you put in. Which could be a ploy by the pastor, by the way, to see, I think I can really wrench this crowd and get more money because if this guy sees putting a 10 in, he, the next guy's going to put a 20. 
and the next guy's going to put 100 because you know how pride works. We use a bag here so nobody knows. It's just whatever because God loves a cheerful giver. Again, I love the fact that Abram is just worshiping the Lord. He's just worshiping the Lord, and he gives this tithe. It's an expression of worship. Abram is growing spiritually, isn't he? Hasn't he grown a lot since we've looked at him? And that's, I believe, what Moses is recording for you and I as we study his life. He's honored the Lord in all things, and, and he's thanking God by giving this tithe to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek's a type of Christ, so he's honoring the Lord. He's a mediator. He's a righteous man. He, he's eternal. All of these thoughts that come from him and his name. Now, in these closing verses, we're going to see how Abram handles the rest of this wealth because he's, he's gone and he's wiped out Ketalomar, so he's obviously taken some of his spoils, right? That's what they would do. So Abram's got even more wealth now. And uh, my last point here in these last couple of verses, Abram's integrity with wealth. I, this is where we get the courage and the integrity of, of Abram. Notice verse 21. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and you can have all the stuff. I just want the people. Because he knew as king, you know, how is he going to run anything without people under him? So Barah offers Abram, Everything that you want in, in your battle, all the, even if it was stuff from Sodom, you can have all of those things. Now, that would have been a great temptation for any man, for sure, with Lot, right? But not for Abram. Again, this is a test for Abram, and he's going to pass the test. But Abram said, verse 22, to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take, notice, verse 23, nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours. And here's the reason why, lest you should say, I made Abram rich. Abram doesn't want anyone to be his benefactor, which is really, really great advice for any of us. If we're going to live with integrity. We, we need to live on our own. We, we can't live off someone else. Verse 24, accept only what the young men have eaten. See, he says, the only thing I want is, is what they've already had for food and what they're going to need to get back home. This portion of the men who went with me, I want my men. And then he names the same men that were mentioned earlier, Anor, Eskel, and they're going to go back to this oak place, Mamre, and let them take their portion. Now, think about it. If, if, again, if Abram accepts this, this money, Barah's offer, he's going to become his benefactor. So he refuses to take a dime. He says, I'm not going to take anything from the king of Sodom. And he puts total trust in the Lord with all the stuff that he has. I don't need it. So this shows integrity in this man. It shows he's grown. He's got total trust in the Lord. And he does not want this wicked man. He knows all about Sodom. He doesn't want this wicked man to have any hooks in his life. He wants to be free to, to serve God alone. In conclusion, this, again, this story and the, these, this history of Abram that we've been studying for the last few weeks, there's a lot of great application for us. But here's the, the, the conclusion I'm going to give you this evening. First of all, Lot, he chose Sodom and his self-interest, and he nearly lost everything because of it. Abram, on the other hand, he just pursued peace. I just want to have peace. You can choose whatever you want, Lot. I just want peace between you and I. And God ends up giving Abram this great military victory because he didn't pursue anything for himself. He, he just pursued peace. Lot, he relied on himself and his ability to, to uh, uh, get more. He wanted more money. And he becomes a slave in the story. Abram trusts God. He's wealthy, but in his integrity, he's, he remains a righteous man. And finally, there's a great illustration of salvation here with Lot. Lot has to face the consequence of his sin. He's got to come. His, his uncle comes and gets him. He's really sinned because he's not living out in tents. He's in the city. He's living in this sinful place, as we're going to discover as we go along in this story, in this narrative. Abram, he steps in at great personal risk, and he saves his nephew, Lot. 
And he rescues Lot from the consequence of his own sin. Lot really should have been, God would have been righteous in just wiping him out. Could have died in the first battle. Could have lost everything to Ketalormar and, and those other kings. But God has grace on him, I, I really believe. And he's facing these consequences. And I believe that God's giving Lot a second chance. Scripture says this very clear in Romans 3, that every one of us are sinners, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Lot is a sinner. But he's been given this second chance. Abram, he, he has is, is got courage. He's got integrity. He's walked by faith. He's grown a lot in these few years since we met him back in chapter 11. Lot is selfish, and he's, he's living the consequence of his sin, but he's been given a second chance by Abram, who's, who brought him back, who rescued. Just like Jesus rescues sinners. That's why Jesus came. He came to rescue sinners. He didn't come to pat goody-two-shoes on the head saying, you're a good boy, you're a good girl. He came because you needed to be rescued from your sin. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The consequence of our sin is death, the scripture says. Jesus Christ suffered death. He died on the cross. His blood was shed so that you and I could have freedom. For anyone who believes in Jesus Christ could have freedom and liberty in the Lord. Our rescuer clearly is Jesus Christ, not Abram who was Lot's rescuer. And so the question tonight, just in closing here in this last minute, have you put your faith in Christ? Do you have trust in Jesus? Or or are you like Lot? Kind of go along with a family. Oh, uh, uh, Uncle Abram, he's a really good Christian. I'm going to hang out with him. but, But never really commit himself to the Lord. Not like Abram. God's rescue mission. He sent Jesus Christ to die for our sin. Aren't you glad? And this story is a really, really beautiful picture of that very thing. Here's the verse I want to leave you with tonight, Acts 4.12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given by men which we must be saved. The name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful history book that you've given to us in the Bible. These stories, Lord, about our forefathers and Abram and all that he went through in his life that teach us how you grow this man in faith and courage and integrity. And tonight, Lord, we've come to this place where we've seen Abram saved his nephew Lot just as Jesus saves those who believe. Lord, you save us from that consequence of sin, and I pray tonight for any here that don't know Christ, that you would put your faith in Jesus, that you would believe on him and be saved. If you'll do that in prayer, if you'll do that just turning to him, he'll do all the work. And I'm thankful, God, that your word tells us again and again that there is no other name under heaven by which a man is saved, the name of Jesus. So, Father, do your work that only you can do. Thank you for our time of study. Thank you for building us up, Lord, and encouraging our hearts. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.